Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. And welcome to the Q4 2021 Mindcast Limited Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask the question during this session, you will need to press star then one on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star then zero. I will now like to hand the conference over to your speaker for today, Robert Sanders, Director of Investor Relations. You may begin. Good morning, and welcome to Mindcast's earnings call for the fiscal fourth quarter in the full year 2021, ended March 31st, 2021. I'm Robert Sanders, Director of Investor Relations. With me on the call this morning are Peter Bauer, our co-founder, chairman, and CEO, and Ray Brown, our CFO. Today's conference call is being broadcast live. A replay of this call will be available after the live call has ended. We will make forward-looking statements regarding future events and the future financial performance of the company. These forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those in the forward-looking statements including risks and uncertainties related to our recent security incident and the ongoing impact of the global COVID-19 pandemic. We caution you to consider the important risk factors that could cause actual results to differ from those in the forward-looking statements contained in today's press release and on this conference call. These risk factors are further defined in Mindcast's most recent Form 10-Q filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. During this call, we will present both GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures. These non-GAAP measures are not intended to be considered in isolation from, a substitute for, or superior to our GAAP results. A reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP measures and the reasons for our representation of the non-GAAP information is included in today's press release, which can be found in the Investor Relations section of our website. The date of this call is May 11, 2021. Any forward-looking statements we make today are based on assumptions that we believe to be reasonable as of this date. We undertake no obligation to update these statements as a result of new information or future events. Now, I would like to turn the call over to Peter Bauer. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us. I hope you and your families are doing well. I'll start with some takeaways from the quarter and the full year, as well as a view into our expectations for fiscal 22. I'd like to ground our discussion in our three-pronged strategy and growth drivers and the progress that we're making against them. Before I turn the call over to Rafe, I'll address some of the trends we're seeing in the changing threat landscape and why we believe Mindcast provides customers the best protection and is uniquely positioned to grow market share as threats continue to evolve. I'll also touch on the leadership transitions that we announced today. In a year that was more challenging given the macro uncertainties, we are pleased to report fourth quarter results that exceeded the high end of our guidance across all metrics we generated $133.9 million in revenues in the fourth quarter. That's up 13% year over year in constant currency terms. We won 23 six-figure deals, an increase over Q4 last year, and average order values rose to $13,900, up approximately 9% over the prior year in constant currency terms. And we delivered $24 million in free cash flow, representing an 18% free cash flow margin, as we continue to drive bottom line expansion while investing in growth. As I reflect on fiscal 2021, we saw slower project decision-making by larger organizations in the first half of the year, and in international markets where we derive almost 50% of our revenue, businesses are still being impacted economically. Through it all, We've stayed close to our customers. We've strengthened our go-to-market teams and strategies. We've broadened our capabilities and ran our business efficiently and profitably. We delivered profitable growth with double-digit revenue growth, increasingly strong free cash flow and meaningful margin expansion. For the full year, revenues came in at $501.4 million. That's up 17% year over year in constant currency terms and we drove $88.4 million in free cash flow, representing a 17.6% free cash flow margin. We continue to have industry-leading retention, 
despite increased downsell and churn as a result of the COVID pandemic. Now, these results in the face of significant headwinds underscore the durability of our business model, our differentiated platform, and our ability to be nimble and execute with discipline. We continue to expect a U-shaped recovery, yet maintaining low double-digit revenue growth through fiscal 2022. Importantly, we achieved net revenue retention of 104% in the fourth quarter. That's flat sequentially, which is better than expected, and we view it as a sign of stabilization. We expect top-line growth to reaccelerate over time and will continue to drive bottom-line expansion as we work towards a rule of 40 balance between growth and profitability. Over the year, we've advanced our three-pronged strategy. We're expanding our footprint in the enterprise market. We're selling our multi-product platform to all of our customers. And we're automating to create even stronger and easier to use engagements with the SMB and channel markets. So let me share some highlights. We took steps to further focus our resources consistent with our three-pronged strategy and growth drivers. This included adding key people to our leadership team and our board and to our enterprise and go-to-market teams. We're continuing to strengthen our organization to build on our momentum in key growth geographies and markets. We made progress in our move-up market with significant wins in both private and public sector. This included our largest ever win of 190,000 seats in the third quarter and 180,000 seat win in the first quarter. Notable enterprise wins this quarter include a global professional services company who purchased our Zone 1 and Zone 2 services and added secure messaging for 100,000 users. A global retailer based in the APAC region who purchased our Zone 1 security and our continuity service for 15,000 employees. And both of these underscore the popularity of our multi-service offerings with our largest customers. We continue to grow our footprint in Canada. For example, a Canadian technology company purchased DMARC, one of our Zone 3 solutions, for 73,000 users. And a Canadian manufacturing company purchased our security and internal email protect solution for 10,000 users. In the public sector, a government agency in one of our international markets purchased archiving for 39,000 seats. We also won a security engagement with an APAC public sector organization with 10,000 users. And based on our pipeline, we expect to continue to expand our footprint in the public sector in fiscal 2022. We continue to innovate on and sell our multi-product platform to new and existing customers, consistent with our email security 3.0 strategy. We drove AOV up to $13,900 this quarter, and average services per customer to 3.5, up from 3.3 last year. As a reminder, we now have 12 products in our solution framework. Our Zone 1 offerings include perimeter defenses and threat protection through our secure email gateway and targeted threat protection offerings. Zone 2 comprises internal email protection and awareness training focused on strengthening the human factor in security. Zone 3 includes our DMARC analyzer and our brand exploit protection, which acts as an offensive countermeasure that can actively fight back against cyber threats. We again saw great traction in awareness training and internal email protect in the fourth quarter, adding 800 and 900 new customers respectively. Our web security solution also performed well, matching our quarterly record of net new customers. This solution is proving popular with SMB organizations focused on keeping their remote workforces secure. We continue to have success upselling to larger enterprises. For example, one of our global customers headquartered in the U.S. with over 40,000 users added new services this quarter for a total of nine services across three zones, along with several of our cyber resilience extensions, including continuity, sync and recover, and our privacy pack. We also signed a six-figure deal with a prominent UK footwear and clothing brand, which added archiving, continuity, sync and recover, and brand exploit protect from Zone 3 to their existing subscription. In February, our API and alliances program reached a new milestone, now offering 60 out-of-the-box and custom integrations with security technology partners, such as CrowdStrike, IBM Security, Netscope, 
Palo Alto Networks, Rapid7, ServiceNow, and Splunk. These integrations allow organizations to incorporate Mimecast threat intelligence and automation capabilities into their broader security ecosystem. And these partnerships have helped us win new customers and deepen existing relationships. For instance, in the fourth quarter, our partnership with CrowdStrike supported our acquisition of a new customer, a large UK university. And our largest deal of the year, the 190,000-seat win I mentioned earlier, was aided by our partnership with Netscope, an incumbent vendor at that organization. We were pleased to see bookings continue to accelerate in North America and Australia during the fourth quarter as the economic environments improved in these markets. We expect to see similar trends in our other ge geographies as vaccinations ramp up and stay-at-home orders come to an end. I'm pleased to share that in Gartner's 2021 Peer Insights Voice of the Customer program, Mindcast was named a customer's choice for both email security and enterprise information archiving solutions. Forrester also recognized Mimecast as a leader in the Q2 wave for enterprise email security. Mimecast client references highlighted our efficacy, ease of use, and pricing as strengths. Additionally, Mimecast was selected as the winner of the 2021 SC Awards for Best Regulatory Compliance Solution. Now, cyber resilience is more important than ever. We saw a significant rise in cyber activity over the course of the pandemic. And in email-borne attacks in particular, as noted in our 2020 State of Email Security Report, email threats rose by more than 64% during 2020. All signs point to this activity increasing going forward. In the most recent quarter, we blocked 23% more attacks year over year. So let me highlight a few trends that we're seeing here. Global malware activity rose by 35% in March across most verticals, demonstrating that no organization is immune. The most attacked vertical was professional services, which saw a 147% volume increase in February 2021. Manufacturing, retail, and wholesale followed closely behind. Together, these industries represent approximately 40% of our revenues. Ransomware remains a significant threat. Our state of email security survey found that more than six in 10 companies suffered a ransomware attack in 2020. It's proven to be lucrative for criminals and is under continuous active development by a number of threat actor groups and is being sold as a service. Mindcast's comprehensive suite of solutions helps customers prevent successful ransomware attacks, maintain operations during an attack and recover data after an attack. Another important trend we're seeing is impersonation attacks targeting employees with privileged access to systems and information. 34% of malicious file-based attacks blocked in March 2021 and 23.6% in 2020 were targeted at these types of employees. Our targeted threat protection remains the leading solution on the market for blocking these highly targeted attacks we continue to see a rise in coordinated multi-vector attacks that involve email, as well as social engineering, fraudulent web properties and phishing sites, malware and ransomware hosted on trusted cloud infrastructures, and non-email messaging systems being used as part of the attack chain. What is becoming increasingly clear is that the concentration of data and computing into hyper-centralized, homogenous environments such as Microsoft 365 and Azure provides an extremely compelling target, and when compromised, significant scale advantages to an attacker. In a world with increasingly standardized software stacks and software supply chain vulnerabilities, layered security remains an imperative. The recent exchange zero-day attacks and SolarWinds compromise, which impacted companies across our industry, including Mimecast, really highlight this point. Our conversations with customers and prospects along with third-party surveys, indicate the recent threat environment has led organizations to increase their security budgets and explore adding best-in-class services like Mimecast to secure their environments. Our holistic email security 3.0 strategy and integrated suite of offerings gives customers an advantage in defending against these multi-vector coordinated attacks. Now, we're continuing to expand and transform our platform to 
anticipate the evolving threat landscape through internal innovation and acquisitions. And as we do, we believe we are positioned to drive faster growth and gain market share while achieving continued strong bottom line expansion. Now, before I turn it over to Rafe, I want to briefly discuss the leadership transitions we announced earlier. The appointment of our new CMO and our decision to combine product development and engineering under a chief technology and product officer. These are important steps in positioning Mimecast to achieve our potential. Berent Liga, our incoming chief marketing officer, is an innovator with a proven track record in planning and executing go-to-market strategies and building high-performing teams. He has significant cybersecurity and marketing experience and has helped to successfully develop and launch a number of category-defining companies, and he'll be a great asset to our team. Building an integrated product organization overseen by a chief technology and product officer will enable us to drive agility and velocity in our innovation as we scale. While our search is underway, I look forward to overseeing the group on an interim basis with the support of great leaders like Christina and John, who will transition to advisory roles at the end of the month. They've made great contributions to Mimecast, and I look forward to their ongoing support as we make this transition. And with that, I'll turn it over to Rafe. Thank you, Peter. I'm pleased to report that we exceeded the high end of our guidance for revenue, adjusted EBITDA, and free cash flow for the fourth quarter of fiscal 2021. Our results demonstrate our ability to deliver both top-line growth and bottom-line margin expansion. Before I turn to our results, I'd like to touch on some trends we're seeing as some of our core markets begin to emerge from the macro overhang brought on by COVID-19. The pandemic has had a varying impact on our core geographies. Let me quickly touch on some of the patterns we are seeing. We are seeing a favorable relationship between our business and the overall economic recovery of the region. Building on our observations of last quarter, we saw continued improvements in our North American business in the fourth quarter. Likewise, our Australian operations benefited from a local economy that is moving well past COVID-19 restrictions. While the impact of COVID-19 restrictions in the UK, Europe, and South Africa remain more problematic, we anticipate that with the lifting of COVID restrictions and expanded immunizations, we will see improvements in the overall selling environment as the year progresses. Let me now turn to our results. In the fourth quarter, we generated revenue of $133.9 million, which represents a 17% improvement over the prior year in absolute dollar terms. Adjusting for $4.8 million of currency tailwind, our constant currency growth rate over the prior year was 13% for the quarter. Note that since providing guidance in February, foreign currency fluctuations positively impacted our fourth quarter revenue results by $700,000. For the full year, we've crossed the half billion dollar revenue threshold, generating revenue of $501.4 million, which represents 17% constant currency growth over the prior year after adjusting for the $1.3 million of currency tailwind. Bullstream, our top line results, were continued year-on-year increases in average order values, or AOV. Calculated at May 3rd FX rates, AOV for all customers stands at $13,900, up approximately 9% over the prior year in constant currency terms. This trend is attributable to a favorable shift in the average number of services per customer across our customer base currently at 3.5 services per customer compared to 3.3 services this time last year, as well as our increasing success with larger organizations. In fact, customers with 5,000 seats or more now constitute 19% of our recurring revenue base versus 18% at the close of fiscal 20. We added 300 net new customers in the fourth quarter, bringing our total customer count to 39,900. There are two important trends one should consider in this respect. First, our focus on selling to larger customers is naturally going to increase the focus on expanding AOVs versus a raw customer count metric. When we look at the year-on-year change in the net new customer metric, the majority of that change is in the small customer segment. Second, the sluggish economic environment, principally in EMEA, is weighing on the net new customer count metric. We do expect to see some improvement here as the macro environment improves in EMEA. Net revenue retention stood at 104% for the four-quarter period ending March 31st, consistent with the prior quarter, but better than our expectations shared during our last earnings call. This metric is particularly important as it is dollar-based as opposed to purely customer count-based. 
Looking at its components, upsell totaled 113%, where we saw strength in both product-based upsell as well as seat and price-based upsell. On the product side, the fourth quarter saw strong interest in our Zone 2 solutions of internal email protection and awareness training, as well as our web security solution. Downsell in turn totaled 9% for the four-quarter period. We are seeing early signs of stabilization on downsell and churn and anticipate an improving macroeconomic environment will continue this trend. As Peter noted, we were pleased to see net revenue retention begin to stabilize this quarter, which we believe is an early indication of a broader recovery in certain of our core markets. We continue to drive improvements in gross margins. In the quarter, we recognize a 77.8% non-GAAP gross margin up 190 basis points from the fourth quarter of the prior year, a good step toward our long-term goal of achieving an 80% non-GAAP gross margin. Adjusted EBITDA for the fourth quarter totaled $33.3 million, representing an adjusted EBITDA margin of 24.9% compared to 21% in the same quarter of the prior year. On a net basis, the quarter derived approximately $3 million of discrete year-on-year bottom-line benefit as a result of COVID-19-driven cost reductions, consisting primarily of travel savings. Even excluding these cost savings, our adjusted EBITDA margin would have been approximately 22.6%. We achieved this margin expansion through operational efficiencies driven by gross margin improvements and resource prioritization throughout our organization. Our full-year adjusted EBITDA totaled $127.2 million, representing an adjusted EBITDA margin of 25.4% compared to 18.3% in the prior year. In line with the commentary we've given on quarterly calls throughout the year, $16.4 million, or 330 basis points of this 710 basis point improvement, came from discrete bottom line cost savings during the year, driven by COVID-19, such as savings on travel and facilities operational costs. Now, turning to the bottom line, Our non-GAAP operating profit for the fourth quarter was $24.6 million, or 18.4% of revenue, an improvement of 440 basis points from the prior year. We reported GAAP net income of $5.8 million for the fourth quarter, or a profit of $0.09 per diluted share based on 66.3 million fully diluted weighted average shares outstanding. Our GAAP tax benefits totaled approximately $700,000 in the fourth quarter. Our full-year GAAP tax expense was $1.7 million. Our non-GAAP net income for the quarter was $18.5 million, or $0.28 per diluted share, based on 66.3 million fully diluted weighted average shares outstanding. Our non-GAAP tax rate was 16% for the quarter. Our full-year non-GAAP tax rate was 20%. Turning to cash flow, fourth quarter operating cash flows totaled $31.7 million, or 23.7% of revenue. For the full year, operating cash flow totaled $127 million, or 25.3% of revenue. Free cash flow totaled $24 million for the quarter, or 18% of revenue, driven by higher profitability and better than expected collections late in the quarter. For the full year, free cash flow totaled $88.4 million, or 17.6% of revenue, which is an 890 basis point improvement over the prior year, and notably, well above our beginning of the year pre-COVID free cash flow guidance provided in February of 2020. As of March 31st, Mindcast had $293 million of cash on the balance sheet, up $119 million from the beginning of the year. Net of debt, our current cash balance stands at $189 million. Let me now turn to guidance. For the first quarter of fiscal 2022, revenue is expected to be between $137.2 million and $138.6 million, or 12 to 13% growth in constant currency terms. Our guidance is based on exchange rates as of May 3rd, 2021, and includes an estimated positive impact of $8.6 million, resulting from the weakening in the U.S. dollar compared to the prior year. Adjusted EBITDA for the first quarter is expected to be between $35.8 million and $36.8 million, which at the midpoint reflects an adjusted EBITDA margin of 26.3%, up 400 basis points from Q1 of last year. Free cash flow for the first quarter is expected to be between $27 and $28 million, 
which at the midpoint reflects a free cash flow margin of 20% of 390 basis points from Q1 of last year. Turning to the full fiscal year, fiscal 2022 revenue is expected to be between $569.7 million and $579.7 million, or 10 to 12% growth in constant currency terms. Adding the details, foreign exchange rate fluctuations are positively impacting this guidance by an estimated $18.6 million compared to the rates in effect in the prior year. The prior guidance for fiscal 2022 provided in early February was $563 million at the midpoint. The strength we have seen in our business is leading us to raise the midpoint of our full year guidance by $6.5 million in constant currency terms. This increase of $6.5 million is being further positively impacted by $5.2 million of foreign exchange tailwind that has arisen since the rates used in our February call, resulting in the midpoint of our full year guidance moving up by a total of $11.7 million in absolute dollar terms, from a midpoint of $563 million to a midpoint of $574.7 million. We are raising full-year 2022 adjusted EBITDA guidance to be between $148.5 million and $150.5 million, which at the midpoint of our guidance would reflect an adjusted EBITDA margin of 26%, up 60 basis points from the prior year. At the midpoint, this represents a $3.4 million improvement over our prior guidance. We are also raising full-year 2022 free cash flow expectations to a range of $122.7 million to $124.7 million, reflecting a free cash flow margin of 22% at the midpoint of our revenue guidance. This is a 390 basis point improvement over the prior year. At the midpoint, this represents a $2.7 million improvement over our prior guidance. For modeling purposes, I would note that on a preliminary basis, we expect CapEx for the year to be approximately 6.5% of revenue, which will be somewhat front-loaded in the fiscal year. Full-year FY22 GAAP taxes to total approximately $7 million, and a non-GAAP FY22 tax rate of approximately 25%. Finally, stock-based compensation is projected to be approximately 12% of revenue for fiscal 22. To conclude, the Mindcast business is demonstrating its resilience. We are seeing new and upsell business recover as the economies of key geographies begin to bounce back, which is helping our net revenue retention rate to stabilize following a year challenged by the COVID-19 economic fallout. As our fourth quarter results show, the team is working hard to meet and exceed expectations. As we move into FY22, we are investing to protect our customers from the ever-increasing threats they are facing. Our go-to-market teams are driving new and upsell business. Our product and engineering teams are driving innovation. And we are investing in our core initiatives to drive growth while making significant progress to deliver on our long-term free cash flow targets. With that, I'll turn it back to Peter for some closing remarks. Well, thanks, Rafe. We have a differentiated platform and a durable business model with 98% recurring revenue, industry-leading retention, and high-gross margins. We have the talent and passion at every level of our organization to build from our strong foundation and achieve new levels of growth and profitability. Thank you to all our employees for your hard work, your resilience, creative and innovative thinking, and your strong execution. Now, operator, if you would please open the line for questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder to ask the question, you will need to press star then one on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Again, that's star one to ask the question. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of Matt Hidberg with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Oh, hey, thanks, guys. Good morning. Uh, thanks for the questions. Uh, it's, it's great to see the stabilization here. It really seems like, uh, you know, the year is shaping up to be just U-shaped recovery. Um, you know, I wanted to ask about the, the success in the large account wins. Obviously, it's been a focus for you guys for the last several years, but with new senior leadership, including CMO, 
you know, are you going to take a more profound pivot towards, you know, sort of addressing these large account opportunities? Uh, just sort of curious on, 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 from an incremental basis, how you're approaching this year on that side. Yeah, Matt, uh, Peter here. Uh, thanks for the question. Uh, yeah, so uh, as you rightly say, we've been uh, pulled into some really interesting enterprise opportunities steadily over the last few years. But uh, as uh, we entered um, this fiscal year, we made a deliberate uh, plan to really invest behind that enterprise opportunity, and um, both from a sales perspective and also from a post-sales uh, experience perspective, some of the things that we needed to have in place to more consistently and successfully uh, win and deliver to, to enterprise customers. Um, and so that's been really exciting for us, and, and we've seen that uh, coming through in our numbers now with our 5,000 plus seat category um, now growing from 18 to 19% of our, our overall revenue. So absolutely, I think we're being recognized as a brand that can deliver uh, for large enterprise customers. They certainly have a complex and uh, very clear needs for the types of services that we offer. And um, so it's absolutely part of our strategy uh, as we go into into this fiscal year too. That, that's great. And then, you know, on, on the Microsoft Exchange hack really this year, I mean, it's just another reminder, I think, of, of you know, the opportunity that you guys have in that base. Are, are you seeing any change in customer behavior there? You know, are, are maybe customers reevaluating the E5, E5 SKU or kind of thinking about redundant security like, like Minecast a little bit differently? Yeah, I think what, what – you know, we learned again with uh, the zero-day attacks on uh, on Microsoft Exchange is that there is risk in relying solely on your application provider to be your security provider too. And there's a real need to have layered defense in depth uh, and to have uh, an independent cybersecurity and resilience provider. And that's exactly where Minecast comes into it layering additional uh, unique security uh, technologies around these mission-critical applications, you know, like Exchange and Office 365. So, you know, painful as it was for many organizations, I think an important reminder uh, of the importance of, of cybersecurity and certainly, you know, the vulnerability that, uh, that you can face uh, with email. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Brian Exus with Goldman Sachs. Your line is open. Hey, thank you. Good morning, and thank you for taking the question. Um, yeah, I was wondering if I could, uh, if we could maybe unpack some of the customer ads and, and churn data. And if, and if we look at, you know, 19% of your 5,000 seat customers as a percentage of your total, I mean, that implies that actually most of the customer ads were large enterprise. Um, what's, maybe if you could help us understand, you know, within large, mid, and small enterprise, um, some of the dynamics there, and, you know, is, is that math kind of directionally correct? You know, uh, Brian, thanks for the question. Of course, with the large enterprise, because they're larger ticket items, they are driving uh, an appreciable part of the business. Now, you know, keep in mind the whole base grew quite nicely during the year. It's just that that enterprise group is is growing a bit faster. And I think that's one of the things that's encouraging for us as we really focus the strategy and we're doing it on the back of a lot of great success we've had up market. You know, we, I mean, essentially have a, a, a roughly a hundred million dollars of, of enterprise business. It's growing faster than the other regions when you look across it and you're seeing that tweak up there. So the, you know, the customer, when you drill into the customer count elements of it, you know, it, it's, skewed a bit because one big enterprise customer makes a really big difference in the dollar value measures that you're highlighting. Got it. Got it. That's super helpful. And then um, just, I guess if we could um, maybe unpack the churn a little bit, um, you know, what's the primary driver and where are you primarily seeing some of the churn come from? Is it still maybe kind of going out of business as opposed to competitor displacement or uh, maybe just, um, you know, highlight some of the dynamics there and why, why we, might look towards a stabilization in that number. Sure, and and the one thing I would just remind everyone is that it that's a trailing four quarter metric. We're really looking at customers a year ago and and what's transpired. So we pick up all the renewals, 
And so, you know, it is covering this full COVID period and influenced by that. I think what, what you're hearing from us is we are seeing signs of stabilization, which, um, you know, I think both on the upsell and the downsell side, to take the downsell and churn side first, you know, there's serious economic impact that's hit a lot of our customers over the course of the year. We've talked a lot about how we saw quite a bit of downsell going through the COVID environment, but one of the, the conscious decisions we made is to make sure we're supporting our customers through a tough time where we, we would choose downsell over churning a customer. And we think that sets us up for a nice recovery coming out of the, the economic fallout. And I think we're seeing the, the first elements of it in, even in the current quarter where you started to see upsell move up, not just in buying products, which we're always excited about that, but you're seeing additional seat ads coming back in. And I think that, that speaks to both the broader economic recovery, but also our investment in our customers' success. Got it. That's super helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Saket Kayla with Barclays. Your line is open. Hey, folks. Thanks for taking my questions here. Um, Peter, maybe, uh, maybe for you, just to make sure the question is asked, you know, now that the SolarWinds breach and, and the related impact to Mimecast is a little further in the rearview mirror, can you just talk about any customer feedback or observations on, on whether you feel that incident at Mimecast impacted demand at all? Based on the numbers, it would seem like no, but again, just to make sure the question's asked. Yeah, thanks, Sackett. So, look, nobody wants to have a security incident like that uh, occur, and, and there is some inevitable impact uh, that this will have to, to uh, customer base and, and, and prospect uh, opportunities. But I think, as you point out, um, our numbers remain really strong uh, through this process, and I was really proud of the way our teams handled uh, their interaction uh, with customers and navigated us uh, through this. I think on the positive side, it gave us an opportunity to get even closer to some of the uh, security teams within our customer organizations that we work with uh, as we handled this. And I think that um, you know, it allowed us to look at a variety of ways that uh, I think coming out of uh, this situation, you leave Minecraft, uh, you know, an even better, even more robust organization. Um, as you'd expect from, from some of the learnings that we were able to take uh, from our experience here. So, um, you know, all, all in all, I think the numbers sort of speak for, for uh, you know, absorbed any, any of that uh, impact, uh, and we're, we're move, moving forward uh, up the other side of it. Absolutely. Um, Ray, for my follow-up, maybe for you, great to see the EBITDA guide uh, go up uh, for next year. Uh, can you just remind us how you've kind of thought about return to office expenses sort of layering in and if your assumptions there have sort of changed at all? Yeah, thank you. So we're expecting to try and get back to business more in the usual sentiment <laughs> as quickly as we can. So certainly in our numbers, we do have, you know, those travel costs coming up a bit in Q1, but certainly by Q2, travel returning to a more normal pace, people getting back to work. You know, we're, we're aware that, you know, we've all learned about new ways of doing business remotely, but we're also very anxious to get back together. And, and I'm pleased to say we have pilots going on where the Australians are back in the office, the Israelis are back in the office. We'll be back in, in just a couple months here much more regularly in the Lexington office, although a, a small group of us are here today doing our duties. So I think that's just really important. Um, you know, just for the team morale and also being able to work together as teams and, and take advantage of the recoveries we're seeing more broadly. And then, of course, the, the cost side of that will also kind of, again, buffer in a little bit in Q1, but really picking up steam to a more normalized rate through the rest of the year. Makes sense. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Our next question comes from Catherine Tripnick with Collier. Your line is open. Oh, thank you for taking my question and excellent uh, print in tough times, guys. Uh, one question I guess I have is on last year at the Investor Day before the entire world closed down, uh, you talked about uh, free cash flow inflection. Can you dig into that a little bit more? Uh, looks like you are headed on that directory this year. We can talk about that some more. Thanks. Yeah, Catherine, thank you for the question. And 
you know, just as a, a reminder of it, when we talked about free cash flow going into a range between 23 and 25% on our long range plan, we've just completed our first year and with just one year behind us, as you noted, in our free cash flow guidance, we're targeting 22% free cash flow for the year. So I think that inflection has, has very much come to us. And I think what we're showing, it's not just the COVID travel savings, we're taking that forward and building that into how we're thinking about the business. So, I, you know, we're feeling good about the free cash flow side of it, perhaps even ahead of schedule. All right, thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Steve Koenig with SMDC. Nico, your line is open. Uh, great. Hey, thanks uh, for taking uh, my question. Uh, I'll, I'll ask two questions in one here. And um, by the way, congrats on the results this quarter and the, and the outlook looking, looking um, promising here. Um, wanted to ask you for comments on changes in the competitive landscape, you know, with consolidation and change of ownership, you know, are you, you know, are you expecting any, anything to change really in the competitively? And also, um, might as well toss this out up front, um, maybe just update us on what you're seeing in the field with your partnerships, uh, especially tech partnerships, including, you know, players like Netscope. Uh, thanks again and congrats. Uh, yeah, thanks, Steve. Um, yeah, let, let me tackle the, the partnership uh, side first. I, I think that's such a, an important uh, area for our customers as they leverage our API integrations along with uh, some of the other leading cybersecurity products in the market, CrowdStrike, uh, Palo Alto Networks, uh, Netscope, and, and others, uh, Splunk. Uh, and so... We're really pleased with those partnerships and some of the, uh, the joint customer value propositions that we're able to present both with our channel uh, reseller partners <clears throat> um, and also joint, uh, joint marketing and, and, and sales engagements with, uh, with some of those vendors. So I think really important for cybersecurity and, and obviously positive for, for our, our business too. Um, just, uh, you know, on uh, consolidation and you know, I assume you, you're referring to, to Proofpoint and uh, uh, the deal that's recently announced uh, with them and Tom Abrava. Look, I think it's really uh, um, powerful validation of the space uh, to see something like that happening. Uh, clearly, um, a, a lot of interest in the potential uh, and a recognition of the significant threats that... Uh, that email and, and messaging poses uh, to organizations and the importance of, of solutions that can re resolve that. Um, you know, from a competitive standpoint, <clears throat> I think it's, it's too early for us to call the ball, but we have obviously seen M&A activity in the past with uh, uh, competitors and consolidation in the space. And you know, generally it's, you know, it's known to have some distraction for staff and partners and, and, and so on at, at these organizations. Um, and that, you know, can present opportunity potentially to Mindcast. I, I think increasingly we're being seen as the credible, uh, perhaps sometimes preferred alternative for larger organizations. Um, and so, you know, this, this may indeed present a, a clearer shot on goal uh, for us in some of those selling situations. So, um, again, I guess that's... Uh, you know, some of that we have to see how that plays out in the market, but um, we have a we have a positive perspective on it going in. Great, thank you, Peter. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Alex Henderson with Needleman Company. Your line is open. Hi, Jean. You have Mike Seacos here for Alex Henderson. Thanks. Thanks for taking the questions. On the EMEA, South Africa, and some of these international markets that have been uh, weaker to rebound versus what we're seeing in North America and Australia. Can you comment on what gives you the confidence for these improvements or, or how the pipeline looks? And I just did want to harken back to an earlier comment. It sounds like part of the, the seed increases you're seeing is based on the um, MIME's ability to support its customers through the year. Um, so we should expect that these customers will be coming back to you based on those those efforts that you had previously put in place. Is that fair? Yeah, so, I, I, yes, happy to take that on. 
you know, what gives us confidence is we're seeing a, such a strong relationship, frankly, with, you know, these other economies as, as people have gotten back to work, hiring's picked it up. We see, you know, people that um, had, or companies that had reduced workforces, bringing those employees back. All of that, you know, it, is translating into a better selling environment for us in those stronger markets. And, and so we do believe that, you know, the UK, which has now lifted their, their very heavy lockdown, people are getting vaccinated. You know, we're seeing more vaccinations across the EMEA pickup. We expect that same behavior to, to continue. There's just such a dramatic input or impact on the overall economy of people being able to get out from under lockdowns and get back to work. And, you know, we're, we're very much seeing a world that's, you know, frankly asking to get back in the office and, and, and return to some state of normal, norm, normalcy, if you will. That's really what, what pushes us there, and, and I think that's exactly right. Um, on your, the second part of your question, when we talk about that supporting customers, you're spot on. You know, I think we do sell on a per seat basis, so certainly if, if a customer had a vastly reduced headcount and, and they ended up having a downsell, if you will, last year, as those numbers come back, we're going to see an upsell on our renewals. And, and I just think the, the strengthening of our relationships, the fact that we invested with our customers through a tough time, helps people realize that, you know, it, th there's more to the story. There's certainly about greater product efficacy, but there's great service, and there's a, an investment in each other in a long-term relationship. That's great. And then if I could just one more on the uh, combination of the product management and engineering organization into a single team. Uh, curious if you could just lay out um, details as far as what's, what's already underway at this point, what's involved from, uh, from the communications to the team, getting them on board. Um, is there any uh, change in headcount from removing duplicative positions? What, what can we expect there? Yeah, great question. Thanks. So, um, so from a communications point of view, I think it's been a, uh, you know, clearly communicated inside the organization. Everybody understands what we're trying to achieve strategically. Um, excited about how we can be more agile as an integrated team under a, under a single leader. I think, um, you know, as we're starting to get folks back into the office, it's a good time to bring people together into a new structure and they're ready to use this, uh, this shift um, as a, a base to continue to invest uh, strongly in our R&D uh, and product development initiatives um, and to propel us forward as a growth company uh, to achieve our vision and our long-term objectives. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a very positive move. We have a very talented team of leaders uh, in our product management and, and engineering organizations, and I'm certainly looking forward to working even more closely with them uh, as, we, as we move forward with this change. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Sterling Audio with J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks. Hi, guys. Um, I actually wanted to, to ask about the guidance first. I want to make sure that I'm looking at this properly. It looks like the guidance for the, uh, for the June quarter has growth near 20%, but the full year near 15, which would suggest the slowdown uh, at some point or, or through the year. What, what's kind of factoring into to that pattern? Yeah, Sterling, thank you for calling that out. And just to keep everyone aligned, you know, the growth rates you're talking about aren't actual rates. Um, I quoted a constant courtesy in, in my script. You know, we've talked about a U-shaped recovery that, that we'll see throughout the year. You know, and I, I would just remind everyone, because we recognize such a high percentage of our revenue on a deferred basis, being amortized across the year, you know, even drastic improvements still bleed into the revenue line on a fairly gradual basis. So, you know, what you're seeing is as we get into this U-shaped recovery, you know, we are seeing strength, as we've talked about in, in a number of areas on the quarter, as well as on the net revenue retention. We, we still need to, you know, we need to see those trends continue, certainly, before you're going to really start seeing us being able to uptick out of the bottom of the U, if you will. You know, I, I would call out that with a constant currency uh, raise on the full year of $6.5 million, I think that does speak to us feeling better about the year as it's 
you know, certainly based on the way we finished Q4 and, and based on our current outlook there. But it is going to take a few quarters to work through the bottom of that U. Understood. And then, Peter, you had commented about survey work that you've done talking to increased security spend. When do you think those increases will begin to manifest themselves both in results and outlook? Do you think we start to see it in the June quarter, or is it more of a back half? Uh, thanks for the question. Look, I think the the outlook and what we've seen there uh, certainly factors into the guidance that uh, that Rafe has shared, um, and so that's uh, that's part of our perspective on on what we can achieve uh, during this year. I, I think it is sort of really interesting to see how the the kind of current news cycle is also impacting desire to spend on solutions. Um, ransomware clearly posing significant threats to organizations, obviously here in the U.S. with the, uh, the colonial uh, pipeline shutdown. Um, uh, organizations understanding that there are significant financial costs associated with, uh, with ransomware. You know, I, I believe that the, the average payment for a ransomware uh, release is now over $300,000. Uh, and includes average downtime of about 21 days uh, on average. So the, the impact uh, that, that these incidents can have on organizations, I think, is really part of the story driving uh, an appetite to make sure that one has both preventative um, as well as uh, recovery capabilities in place, which is you know, clearly a, a key component of uh, the Minecraft suite and our sales motion. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Keith Bachman with Bank of Montreal. Your line is open. Hi. Thank you very much, and congratulations on a solid set of results. Um, Peter, I wanted to direct this to you, and it's, it's really a, a two-part question, if I could. As you think um, broader, longer term to the next, call it three years, you have, on average right now, uh, customers using three and a half solutions. You have a total of 12. What does that look like longer term if you look out three and a half years? And is there anything that um, you think could provide some step function change associated with um, a greater impact or greater distribution? And part B of the question is, if you look at your AOV, it was actually up nicely, 9% uh, year-over-year constant currency. As we think about the next 12 to 18 months, is, is, as you look at the current portfolio, is that kind of a steady cadence that we should be thinking about uh, in, in terms of the economic model? Thanks very much. Uh, <clears throat> thanks. Yeah. So maybe I'll let Ray talk about the economic model and how, how he sees that, that building up. But from a, a, a cross-sell and upsell perspective and a, and a broad suite adoption perspective, that um, steady growth that you've seen in, in additional product ads uh, is uh, something that we expect to continue. We um, have, as you may know, about 12 products in the overall portfolio. So there's plenty of headroom for us to increase adoption. And in fact, we're seeing that playing out across some of the newer modules that we've, uh, that we've introduced. So a strong quarter for uh, products like uh, IEP and Zone 2, along with awareness training, 900 uh, and 800 additional uh, customers uh, purchasing that there. Um, so encouraging signs. And, and then, of course, some of the other uh, Zone 3, DMARC, uh, 200 additional customers, Web Security, 300 additional customers. So as those products are maturing and becoming part of the story in, in customers' minds, uh, we're seeing we're seeing continued adoption of that, and you know, we'll continue to layer additional capabilities in. Obviously, Cybergraph is something that we recently introduced uh, and has been available initially in, in North America and, and rolling out globally. So, you know, we expect to see some uh, some some positive results from that. So, overall, I think the suite is a, a really strong model with with multiple uh, kind of monetizable um, category plays there that we continue to benefit from. 
Yeah, and just on, on the economic model, I mean, you're spot on. I think that's a key part of the strategy is making sure that we're driving those ALVs up over time. You know, and that's really going to be driven by, of course, the emphasis on larger customers, as we've been talking about, but also on the upsell elements. You know, as we, we've taken these 12 products and, you know, you talked about, you know, step change. Well, at least the strategy is, on the one hand, making sure we're continuing to expand the platform in ways that work together, such that customers get more when they buy, you know, one plus one equals more than two kind of approach. So if we can continue to build that platform and then we combine that through good bundling, good pricing and packages to help customers be successful, that's going to drive AOVs. And I think uh, another really important element to understand there is we see much better retention rates with customers who have more products because they get more value out of Mindcast, right? And I think that's a key part of the story as well. So we're at that point in our trajectory where we realize that while new customers are really, really important, also how we take care of our basic customers and keep bringing them new offerings, incredibly important to our long-term success and, of course, the economic model. Makes sense. Many thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Terry Tillman with yours. Your line is open. Yeah, thank you for taking my questions, and I'll echo uh, the, the, the solid job on uh, the resilient results. I guess, Peter, the first question is on web security. I've asked about it in the past. I know you just talked about it. But it, it, has that product reached an inflection point? And also it sounds like it's been uh, more successful at this point in the SMB market. Could it actually help you strengthen your small business or SMB sales? Yeah, Terry, uh, good question. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think definitely web security, we, we've seen it increase in popularity. Uh, I think particularly, as you point out, within the SMB segment, in that kind of sub-500 seat uh, category, maybe sub-1,000 seat category, uh, especially as uh, smaller organizations have been continuing to look at ways to keep their remote workforces uh, secure, uh, and of course, you know, even at the end of COVID, we got into a kind of a hybrid uh, working arrangement, which uh, organizations are, are expecting and, and preparing for. So the capabilities that we've delivered around web security that include some, some interesting advanced functionality like browser isolation, um, uh, application control, shadow IT detection, um, selective proxy capabilities uh, using the same kind of malware interrogation stack as our email platform. Uh, it's a really interesting solution, particularly for customers that have already selected Mindcast to be their security partner for, uh, for, for email uh, um, as part of our, our suite. So, uh, yeah, I think we're, we're quite bullish on, on what we can achieve with web security in the SMB market over time. That's great. And I just had one follow-up, Ray, in terms of the enterprise business. You characterized it well. It's a $100 million kind of run rate revenue business. Could you remind us what the profitability on this 5,000-plus seat enterprise business is like, and are you in more of a getting leverage out of it mode or investing for growth? Thank you. No, it's, a, it's a great question. I think one of the encouraging things with enterprise customers is, you know, they, they come with a real handsome lifetime, customer lifetime value. And I think that's when we approach a market, we really like to look at it in those terms that we think on the long-term investment of them, those customers present great opportunity for us and strength for the customer, or strength for the company, if you will. Um, and, you know, and I think that's part of the overall formulation as we're looking at this is we feel like that can be a driver to help us achieve those long-term goals, both on the top line as well as on the bottom line, as we've discussed. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Nihal Choksi with Northland Capital. Your line is open. Thank you. Uh, so looks like a really strong billings quarter with it, a year-over-year growth accelerating relative to the summer quarter. Uh, can you talk about what was the linearity in the quarter? Linearity in the quarter? It, it was very much in line with with prior quarters. There was nothing really to call out exceptional on linearity in the quarter. You know, I think, you know, it just would be around the edges that 
that's the cycle of strengthening, you know, and certainly in, in some of the activity in the company came on later in the quarter, but that's really going to have a, a bigger impact on, on future quarters in the way that translates into strength in our business. And, 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 you know, and I mean that by kind of the geographic breakout that we talked about earlier, where we're seeing those economies get stronger as they're emerging from the COVID hangover. Okay. And, um, what are the metrics you can point to to say that the utilization of automation in the mid-market is working, given the further slowing in customer ads and what seems to be an improving SMB sentiment here? Yeah, no. So, you know, this, we have several projects going on uh, in that respect. Some of them are, you know, going to take a few quarters to fully implement. Where we're really focusing is, you know, the first of all, I would say making sure we continue to leverage our channel relationships and maybe take those to the next level. And I think that's a key piece of the strategy. It, it, part of it is, is just if you look at some of the trends we're seeing out there with smaller customers relying on MSPs more, we want to improve that working relationship. And as you know, we made an important hire last year for a, a channel leader. Um, he's implementing a lot of his work and, and laying, you know, the, the groundwork for continuing uh, improvements in that respect. I think more broadly, we have some good IT projects that are going to go along and really approach the whole quote to cash cycle, you know, helping people, you know, in a digital way, transact with us much, much more efficiently. And then Barron's going to be coming in and, and really taking it to the next level and a big part of his focus about how we help these customers, you know, find Mindcast uh, find, find services and offerings and, and really, again, transact with us more efficiently. So it's going to be a a, a multi-quarter trek, um, but I think that's really the focus of it. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Brent Field with Jeffries. Your line is open. Hey, guys. This is Joe on for Brent. Appreciate the question. Congrats on passing the $500 million rev threshold. Lots to be proud of there. Were there, following up on the billings, were there any outsized FX or other dynamics impacting billings? I'm just trying to bridge the current billing strength between the past few quarters. Obviously, you're lapping some pandemic impacted numbers, but just trying to bridge that to your constant currency rev guide going forward. Or is there just a fair Yeah, I, you know, there? no, I, I think that that's key. And, and you know, this was, um, we got a lot of currency tailwind in, in this quarter. We, we certainly called it out, you know, both, you know, like in the prepared remarks around Q4, as well as the guidance. And, and so I think you need to adjust when, in any of your calculations, take that into account. You know, I, um, we're, of course, pleased after when COVID came on, currencies worked against us for a bit. So now as things are kind of normalizing, we're seeing that strength. Um, and, you know, obviously it, it does flow through not just the revenue line items, but if you're, if you're trying to calculate a billings number, you'd want to adjust for that as well. Okay, that's helpful. And then... Being that 4Q is the most important quarter of the, of the following year, um, I think you've touched on it a little bit, but just any sense of how the pipeline is looking? I believe last quarter you said generation was lacking slightly due to increased focus on the security breach. I'm just kind of curious how you view the pipeline. Yeah, no, and you know, look, I think ultimately the best indicator of our, of our confidence is the fact that we're able to have a nice raise on, on the, you know, the full year revenue number, that $6.5 million constant currency raise, plus some FX tailwind behind that. You know, I think that's your best indicator. You know, as we touched about on the last call, yeah, th there was a period of time where, you know, we were making sure we were taking care of all of our customers, and, and we were all very focused on that. The, the sales team quickly got back to, you know, their day jobs of going out and building pipeline and closing deals, and I, I think that's encouraging. That, that you know, we're, we're very focused on that, um, you know, currently, and, and I'd say there's no distractions right now, so it's all about building a good year. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Brian Coley with Stevens. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the question. So I'm curious, just on the guidance, um, kind of what you're assuming from a macro perspective in terms of the recovery in some of these you know, more challenged uh, international markets. And then secondly, I'm curious if, if the guidance raise that you made this quarter, uh, if, if that, you know, if you're saying, you know, the drug that guidance change has changed your, the timeline for a reacceleration of revenue, or if you're kind of just raising the base of the U. Sure. That's a great question. 
so first, in terms of our kind of macro recovery, we're expecting to start to see, you know, certainly there are bigger markets in EMEA start to, to bounce back. I, I would expect it's going to be likely a Q1, Q2 kind of recovery as they get their engines rolling. And, and I'm basing that entirely on just a, a bit of what we've seen certainly in North America and Australia and, and, and markets that have just um, gotten a bit of a head start in that respect. So I would again start to hopefully see strengthening throughout Q1, Q2 um, in those markets. Now, of course, I would caution, COVID has thrown me more twists, if you will, on, over the last year than, than I would have ever bargained for. So one has to always take that into consideration. Um, you know, I think in terms of, of the overall, you know, recovery, I think it's key to remember that, you know, North America is half of our revenue base, and that's really important, roughly half of our revenue basis, and that's key. Um, you know, the U-shaped recovery, as I mentioned a bit earlier, you know, just because of the way we recognize revenue, that the timings of the bookings really matter a lot. Somebody, you know, said that Q4 is the most important quarter of the next year. Absolutely true. So there is a little bit of a timing um, element to, to judging when revenue will start to build up. I think the important thing here is strength like we were able to show with a nice raise, really solid on the free cash flow side, shows you that we're executing. And as we take advantage of hopefully this better selling environment, we're going to be able to build that and make sure that uh, we get to the other side of the U as quickly as we can. Got it. And then just following up, uh, going back to the uh, security breach from earlier this year, I mean, do you, do you guys think the worst of that impact is behind you now, or do you think that, you know, the impact – uh, from that incident, it's going to bleed into into 22. Some. Uh, we believe the worst is behind us. Got it. All right. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not showing any further questions in the queue. I would now like to turn the call back over to Peter for closing comments. Folks, uh, thanks for joining us this morning uh, for our full year and our Q4 FY. Uh, 21 results. We look forward to presenting our results again to you in about three months' time. Have a great day. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.